I'm Dave Laird. I'm Matt Booker. And I'm Martina Testa. The gray clouds are bulbous and wrinkled and shiny. The sky looks cerebral here in the Great Concavity. That is, I love that. That line. is excellent, Martina. I love that line. Thanks Great for bringing job. us. Yeah, that's good. Where's that from, Martina? Uh, that's from Little Expressions, Expressionless Animals, uh, one of my yes. favorite stories uh, by David Foster Wallace. Yeah, it is. I would say maybe it's my favorite short story by him as well. I love it so much. The fact that you have Alex Trebek and and Pat Sajak together <laughs> is just hilarious, uh, and Jeopardy, of course is great um so having that all together by wallace is is amazing <laughs> so thanks for joining us for episode 54 everybody uh, our guest is martina testa and i should say martina is, is more than just a guest martina's my friend and i feel yeah. like i've known martina forever um i'm trying to think when we met martina maybe the year 2000 2001 I- Yes, I think I think probably two thousand one, I guess, or maybe earlier. But but we knew each other for from even from before, maybe from right. when I was uh, translating Davis Foster Wallace, like in, yes, in two thousand, even nineteen ninety nine, maybe, because we yeah. were on the list hmm. on the David Foster Wallace fun mail mailing list. Yeah. I don't know how do you call them the yeah, Holly yeah. Phantoms the list. Yeah, list yeah. Wallace L. Yeah, so that we were like. Cool. Um, friends in like pen friends i guess before we we, <laughs> we met in person sure so we, we've gone back at least 20 years i would say we've known each other hmm. uh online longer for sure but as you've alluded to martina is a translator she lives in rome she's uh staying up very late tonight so that Dave can be online in new zealand the next day and i'm in austin texas sweating in a room right now because my air conditioner is very rattly and I had to turn it off so it wouldn't be in the background of this recording. But the three of us oh, yeah. being uh, spread all over the globe, I want to thank you for staying up late tonight. Yes. Um, oh, it's a- this is probably our most disparate uh, time recording we've ever done, I think, for an episode, Matt, where we're all in like the craziest probably. different time zones possible. <laughs> this is so cool. Um, and it's, yeah. it's, it's a pleasure, really. Um, and I go to bed very, very late. So it's, it's okay for Good. me. So, uh, Martina, I wanted to finish it by saying that you have translated a ton of amazing books. And I remember uh, back even 20 years ago, you were translating Colson Whitehead and Amy Bender Mm. and Cormac McCarthy. And I remember you've also translated, I think, Karen Green's book, Bow Down, and David Lipsky's book. Um, Yes, uh, th- of course, th- you become a, end up becoming yourself a very long title in English and Italian. <laughs> What's the Italian title of that? Uh, the Italian title is uh, Come diventare se stessi, which means which only means how to become yourself. Uh, it's, oh, okay. It's, yeah, we, we shortened it because it was way too oh, big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so anyway, I feel like we have very similar taste and that's one reason why we became friends and that we read a lot of the same books and you've translated Jonathan Lethem and Ben Lerner. Um, 
and you know we f I feel like we uh, like a lot of the same American writers and uh, that's you know when you started out you were uh, an editor and translator at Minimum Facts. So I want to, yes. we're going to get to all of your timeline now, but now you work for a company that it's called Edizioni Sur, right? I probably mm -hmm. said it wrong, but. No, no, um, it's, <laughs> you say good. Edizioni, it's just that the Z is a Z, but uh, Edizioni Sur, anyway. Yes, it's a, uh, it's even a, it's, it, these are two small independent presses from, from Italy. I used to, I worked at the first one, Minimum Facts, for, 15, 14 years, and then the, actually the two people, the two publishers, they fell out with each other, and uh, one of them left the company and founded another one, which is where I work now, Edizioni Sur. So he's, uh, he's our friend Marco, I've, a long time exactly. friend Marco. <laughs> of course. <laughs> exactly. I've I've been working with Marco Cassini for twenty years in in the publishing in in Italy. That's that's been my whole uh, my lifelong. Uh, career has been in small uh, publishing and I've always worked both as an editor choosing books to publish in, in Italian and as a translator but as a translator I'm a freelance uh, person so I, I also translate for other publishers. Uh, sometimes I, I have the privilege of translating some books that I acquire for my uh, for the press I work for so for example John Henry Festival, uh, John Henry Day's because John, John Henry Festival is the Italian title, but John Henry right. Days by uh, John, by Colson Whitehead uh, is a book that I acquired and I translated, and the the Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead again is something I acquired and I translated. Uh, so I'm very amazing, privileged in that, um, and I also get work from other publishers. Um, hmm. So yes. So and let's let's go back to that because I think the founding of the beginning of minimum facts is very interesting and that marco you know it's an interesting name for a publishing company to begin with so yeah. i remember <laughs> asking marco about minimum it facts. this is like in the maybe early 90s right mid 90s and that marco yeah. i believe had almost like a, a magazine or a newsletter that yes. he would send around by fax and it was yes, the, um, American literature and translation. Some of it, some of it was Italian writers, but it was actually faxed around. <laughs> yes, yes. This is uh, that was before my before I met Marco. But Marco and uh, his friend Daniele, they started a liter in 1994. They started this magazine, this literary magazine, that they would send uh, by a fax machine. Uh, to a number of subscribers. Uh, so they were like 25 at the time and the fax machines were, I don't know, this brand new technology. It didn't uh, last long, but uh, they were very, um, yeah, they were the first, maybe, I don't know, maybe the only literary magazine <laughs> that was ever sent via fax machine, but it was almost like, yeah, it, it, um, a lot of, I mean, the press was, was interested and the writers, they, they would go to uh, were sympathetic and they would give them like short uh, unpublished pieces. Um, and I'm talking, I mean, they were publishing people like Paul Oster or uh, I think probably Umberto Eco, uh, give them like a page or something just because they would approach them after reading or something saying we have like this um, 
uh, yeah, this this uh, literary magazine that we sent via fax, uh, and people were I don't know <laughs> enchanted by it or something. And so after a while, uh, they published I think ten issues of that. I guess, um, and then this, they decided to start a proper publishing house, uh, and that was, I think, 1995. Uh, so they started publishing a, a little bit of beat poetry. Uh, they would publish Ferlinghetti, mm. something by Ginsberg. Uh, then they had like their big break when they uh, made an offer for the whole works of Raymond Carver. Uh, who had been published in Italy before, but was at that time, like it was, I think, 1998 or something. Um, it, his books were not in print anymore. Uh, so Marco and Daniele made a big offer. I mean, a big offer for their standards. Um, but um, And they were competing with Einaudi, which is this uh, huge, uh, big uh, pub publisher, major a literary publisher in, in Italy, but um, Raymond Carver's widow uh, chose uh, Minimum Facts as uh, the new publisher of Raymond, Raymond Carver's complete works. Uh, and that was that project was extremely successful and really put the the publishing house on the map. And that was 1999, I think, um, when I start when I first met them. Uh, through common friends, uh, I made friends with this like this small group of uh, I think they were probably in the uh, late twenties. Uh, they were like like publishing Italian authors and some um, American authors in in translation. Uh, we met I met them because we all uh, started like yeah we, we we met through common friends because we we were all in the editorial committee of another literary magazine. This one is was called Elliot. Um, like the, there's this Disney movie, I think, who, who can remember? Uh, but it's, Elliot was, the, was an invisible dragon anyway, at some point in, in the 80s, I think. Uh, so Elliot was the name of this uh, <laughs> literary magazine, um, which like a, a bunch of uh, college kids uh, in, uh, in Rome uh, started in, uh, the, uh, late, in the late 90s. Uh, some 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 of us had no work experience, and some of us were just starting in publishing. And Marco had just yeah, uh, he was he's been he'd been working at Minimum Facts for three or four years, um, and another friend was working at another indie press. So it was a bunch of people like uh, in love with literature um, who decided to start this magazine. And since a couple of them were actually also working in publishing, I started like, uh, doing a little bit of, um, uh, of, uh, work for them, uh, like, uh, reading something or proofreading something. Uh, but mainly, um, I, uh, I translated, uh, I started translating for them. And the, the, the first book I, I translated uh, was, uh, it, it sounds quite, quite incredible, uh, it was a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly difficult book to translate and it shouldn't be the first book <laughs> that, that the translator works on. Um, but the, uh, yeah, sorry I'm talking too much. No, no, this is great. Speaking of this idea of Wallace being untranslatable, you get mentioned in Lucas Thompson's book, Global Wallace, and he's been a guest on before we talked to him. And he he cites an instance where Wallace emailed you about, you had questions about 
um, incarnations of burned children. <laughs> and Wallace thought it was basically untranslatable as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like you jumping ahead here, Dave. That's like yeah, one, I'm jumping ahead a bit. That's but, one of uh, my main uh, stories, and and I would propose that yeah. we, we come back to that because sure, I like okay. this going chronologically because. I think it's mm-hmm. very interesting to track, you know, Wallace's career, n- not only in the U.S., but in Italy. And oh. it's, it's through our relationship. And so I know Infinite Jest was translated by Fandango first. Yeah, but but there was. OK, okay so the, the, I'll tell you about the, the uh, in Italy, um, the the first book by David Foster Wallace, uh, which was translated into Italian, was um, um Exactly. The supposedly fun thing I'll never do again is in, in Italian, it's split into two different books. They were both published mm. by Minimum Facts. One is just the uh, cruise essay, and that's the first book by Wallace, which was translated in Italian. Uh, and, and that was, an, okay. uh, I, I didn't do that. That was uh, 1998, I think. Uh, but another, uh, actually, he's a, he's a fairly successful Italian writer now, Francesco Piccolo. Uh, he was friends with Marco. He was like a, a good friend, uh, and I—he I, uh, probably uh, could speak English quite well. I don't know. And he, he has never translated other books. Francesco. He's he's written several also best-selling books in Italy. But he. Um, but anyway, so he—I I don't know because I, I was studying at the university in 1998, uh, and I wasn't working with Marco. Um, so, but but um, Minimum Facts did publish uh, uh, the cruise essay uh, as their first uh, David Foster Wallace book. Uh, but it remained the, the other essays. They wanted to make a book with the other essays, uh, and they were looking for someone to translate those. Um, and um, uh, me and my friend Christian, Christian Raimo is his name. He's now he's mm-hmm. a published uh, writer in Italy and a journalist. Um, he's, uh, um, we had both read a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again in English. Um, and I, I think it was Christian who first introduced me to David Foster Wallace. Uh, I was, we were both, uh, I think, 23, 24 at the time. I have no idea how he knew about Wallace, but he told me, you should, we, we were like very, very good friends. Um, he told me, you should read this guy. I, I, I still remember uh, reading the first essay in uh, a supposedly fun thing and just have the, like derivative sport in Tornado Alley uh, and like feeling my brain like. <laughs> <laughs> I had never, never, ever read anything like that. What was that? And then after, it's like e unibus pluram. Also that. Wow. Uh, I was completely blown away. So I, 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 we loved. We both loved this great, uh, great writer. Completely new. Completely unique to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you have. I, I think in in the nineties. Um, I mean, in Italy, I, when I, I was 20 in, in the 90s, and most of the, of the I, I loved literature and reading, uh, but I had almost only read classics uh, or books from, yeah. you know, before, before World War II, or I wasn't really reading anything very contemporary, uh, not from, um, I, like, pop culture references, were not something I was 
uh, I don't know, I was used to. So I first, I yeah. started discovering this new uh, American, uh, contemporary American literature through, I, I think before Wallace, there had been like Douglas Copeland and Brett Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these two were like, also for me, they were like incredible experience, very new, because I didn't know you could, you could write literature. Write about this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, totally. about, about these things. So, and I think, because we were, I mean, uh, probably the Italian literary scene in the 90s where it was much less, I would say, Americanized or that, than it is now. Actually, there, there were not many like pop, uh, literary books uh, being written mm-hmm. in Italy in the early 90s. And there was never like big postmodern novels in, in Italy. Hmm, not many of them either. So um, he really blew my mind. So Christian and I went to, to Marco uh, Cassini, the guy, the editorial director and founder of Minimum Facts, saying, hey, you, you are going to translate the other essays by Wallace? We want to try and translate a sample. And let us just try. We've never trans- we have never translated a book. We just uh, could read English because we went to like language school, and that's all. Uh, but we were reading. We were two big nerds, uh, so I was reading a <laughs> lot of books in English, uh, and we just tried. And they liked our samples, so they asked us to translate. I think we did like four out of six of the other essays, or something like that. Christian and I. Um, and that that was my first experience translating a book, um, and I, I think it, <laughs> it's so strange because it, it's it's really and it's such a such difficult complex uh, syntax and language. Um, yeah. I don't know how I did it. Actually, we Kristen and I didn't do it alone because we asked a lot of questions to a lot of different people. Uh, we emailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports journalists. We emailed people working in cinema to translate the David Lynch uh, piece. Um, oh, yeah. And we, we asked a lot of questions on the Wallace uh, mailing list. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think um, one, of, one of the guys on the list, this Australian guy, I think he was, uh, his name is John Twighty. I don't know. Uh, I, I, he's, I, I thanked him in, in, the, in the book. I, little, there's a little note thanking, I think, Matt uh, yeah. or, and John, because uh, they helped with a lot of strange language that we didn't understand. And it was also funny because when we asked about the, some uh, words that Wallace would use in his essays on the mailing list, people would come up with different answers. So sometimes even um, like American people were not completely sure what he meant or what, what that uh, expression um, uh, was, yes, what, what that meant. Uh, his, his language is so incredible. Um, so, um, so th- well, that, that was the first book I, I, I did. And then after that, um, Minimum Fox published. I, I started working in early 2000. Uh, I started working at Minimum Fox as like, um, I don't know what, we, like a copy editor uh, for a very, very small amount of money. Uh, but it was like a dream job. 
for me, like working in, mm. in books. I didn't care that the pay was so low. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I, I, hadn't, I didn't even know, it, that, that's a big difference. I didn't even know that you could actually work in part. I was, I was studying at the university. I was studying like um, Greek and Latin. I didn't think of like working in publishing. Nowadays, it, there's a lot of publishing workshops and courses and a lot of young people know right, what yeah. an editor is, what a publicist is. Uh, what an editorial assistant or a literary agent does uh, but I, I didn't know at the time I had no experience at all and I wasn't even thinking of but it's, it just happened that I met these people this group of people and some of them were in publishing and I kind of uh, followed them and, and became part of this group I never even sent a CV uh, which is very strange. So when when people uh, sometimes ask uh, how do you start working in publishing, it's very diff different uh, today than mm -hmm. it was in, in 1999 or 2000. Um, so I have two questions for you. Going back to you mentioned Inaudi, they're sort of like the Random House in America. Like they're huge. They're the biggest ones. Mm. And after Minimum Facts first published Wallace, you know, did they try to secure the rights away from you i know there was also the second question is there was this festival after Inter, uh, infinite jest was published in italy that uh, i remember like public reading of infinite jest and there was a lot of excitement <laughs> um and you know not to to say anything bad but i know that that translation was not it was not done by you it was not like you did not translate infinite jest did you no. have desire at that time were you reading infinite jest in I, english I, after you read the supposedly fun thing i did i read infinite jest after supposedly fun thing um uh, but i would I, I had no desire uh, uh to to translate it it would feel like too big and huge <laughs> for me uh so this other but this yeah. other uh indie press fandango both rights uh to infinite jest and they they had uh, like it's it's complicated the story goes it's like two different translators um, she, the first one translated started doing this and then she kind of I don't know um, she was in over her head do you say something like that she wouldn't deal with it yeah, it was perfect. too much yeah. so then they uh, so, something somebody else translated the, the, the rest and then a third person um, uh, like revised the whole thing and put it all together. And the, the translation is signed by this guy whose name is Edoardo Nesi. He's also a very good Italian writer. That's interesting because there are so many um, writers who have translated Wallace into Italian. Uh, there's a lot of people who, translate, who translated Wallace in, into Italian uh, were also like, yeah, they were writers, not professional translators. But anyway, I think Edoardo's translation um, so it's a mix. It's like three different people working on it, but Eduardo like was a, like the the one that put it all together. Um, and I think he, I actually, I think I, he did a good job. Uh, when I was in, uh, in in 2000, they had like to celebrate the launch of the book. They had this um, in complete reading in a small, uh, like a small theater, like a cinema a theater, movie theater in Rome, like a small one, uh, an art movie theater uh, they had like people reading infinite jest constantly for a whole weekend i think they started 
on Friday afternoon uh -huh. and they uh, we finished on on Sunday night and people were reading around the clock uh, I I did read part of it um, a lot of people came it's like the ultimate filibuster just read infinite just for a whole weekend <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, it, it was so amazing. So I remember going there uh, and I was like, uh, people were reading, of course, in Italian, but I went there with my English copy. So I was uh, following on the English copy and just uh, listening to the Italian to see, like my, my brain was checking for, for mistakes. Uh, and I was oh, yeah. so, such a nerd that I actually, then I, I took notes <laughs> and wrote Eduardo like a, an email saying, well, I think, there are like these 10 different points where I would have translated it differently, which was, <laughs> I'm still ashamed of it because it was yeah. like so, uh, I don't know, uh, obsessive. Or, um, but I think uh, given the difficulty of the whole thing, I, did, I liked the translation. But of course, it, it, I'm sure it's full of things that could be made better. But also my translations, I think all translations are... Um, are possibly are, are I mean they can be made better. Uh, his I don't think his was a, a bad translation. I uh, I've heard people uh, complaining about it. I haven't read it apart from the parts that uh, I read in the uh, I I listened to during that reading. I haven't read the whole thing in Italian, so I I, I can't really judge from what I I've listened to. Uh, I think it's a good translation. But that was uh, Fandango. You were asking about Einaudi. At the same time, there was even a third Italian publisher publishing David Foster Wallace. So uh, Minimum Facts did a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, split into two books. And in the same, at the same time, um, Einaudi was, tra was translating Girl with Curious Hair. Um, I don't know why the, the agent decided to to sell different books to different publishers, but anyway. Um, so Einaudi was translating uh, Girl with Curious Air in 1999, um, and uh, Infinite Jest was 2000. So these were the first books by Wallace. Uh, afterwards, uh, Minimum Facts also translated... Westward, Westward, The Course of Empire. Exactly. Uh, that that was the second book I did uh, by uh, by Dave Foster Wallace for for Minimum Facts because they translated uh, just the Westward uh, as a separate book because uh, oh. Enaudi didn't buy that Enaudi only buy the both the the other parts of Girl with Curious Hair Minimum Facts I, I it was very complicated I didn't deal with foreign rights at the time uh, but anyway. Uh, so Westward was the second David Foster Wallace book that I translated, uh, and I wrote a uh, I wrote a foreword for it because it's so complicated. I mean that that story makes very little sense if you're not a scholar of American <laughs> yeah. literature, yeah. if you don't know who John, John Barth is. is. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I wrote a foreword for it and. Um, at that time, I uh, and then I, um, well, I did. I translated myself into English and sent it to Dave Foster Wallace because I wanted to see to him to see what I was writing about him, um, and that was, uh, I think, the first time uh, we corresponded. I think uh, I sent him I sent him my thing, mm -hmm. and he wrote back uh, with a lovely note saying he 
loved my foreword and maybe I had been too generous uh, about his story. <laughs> he didn't really like the story like too much. Uh, and that day I was like, my, my, oh, oh God, I, I'm still like, I, I get goosebumps because <laughs> I was such a huge fan of this guy. Yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, I was on the, on the, the first of all, it's mailing list um, and completely in awe of this of this writer um and uh, so that's that's another thing uh i don't say before for for minimum facts and after that minimum facts got the rights to girl with curious hair uh, which uh, i retranslated because I, I have to say that an audio translation was not i think that that one is not very good uh, so instead of like revising it, I did it again, and that was I think 2003. Um, and after that, the new uh, uh, Wallace book was the first new one that came out. After that was Oblivion. I think. Oh no, um, brief interviews probably. Can't even remember. Uh, but after that. Uh, we would have loved to keep publishing him, but Einaudi came in with big, big offers. So at the f we can't say that we were that minimum facts. I mean, we we were the first uh, to translate him, and then Fandango did Infinite Jest, uh, and then Einaudi came in. I mean, they had for some years they had be, uh, they did publish Girl with Curious Hair, not in a great edition, but at at some point they came in and started buying everything. So Dave Foster Wallace is uh, is an, an Audi author. But there are like these three books uh, by him, a supposedly fun thing divided into, 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 into two books, and Girl with Curious Hair, they're still in the Minimum Facts catalog, and I'm incredibly proud of having worked on, on those books. Um, mm -hmm. Hey, Martina, do you remember back in those days, about the 2000, Wallace came out with a new story in McSweeney's that was, it was Mr. Squishy, and you know the 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 new stories that were coming out around that time. Good old Neon came out in conjunctions in like 2002, and you know it was building up towards this collection of stories that would become uh, Oblivion. But a lot of those had been published beforehand, and there was a lot of excitement when a new story would come out, especially on the Wallace list. Of hmm. uh, you know he published. Uh, Mr. Squishy under a pseudonym. It wasn't sure if it was him. And there was a lot of excitement, like when, when good old Neon came out of like, how do we get a copy of this? Because it wasn't online. You know, a lot of this stuff was just not online. It was in print only. These are the very mm. early days of the internet. And what was the pseudonym that it came out under? Elizabeth Clem. And, oh, yeah. and we were like, there's no freaking, this person doesn't exist. There's no person named Elizabeth Clem. This reads exactly like a David Foster Wallace story. Like it's uh -huh. gotta be him. And I think there was even some like subtle hints in some live um, hmm. events McSweeney's had done that like Wallace had given them a story basically. But um, but I told him personally, I, I wrote to him when I sent him my, my foreword to Westward, I also told him I was convinced that he was Elizabeth Clem. And actually in his uh, his note that he sent back, he, 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 he I, I can't even, I can't remember, but he says like, uh, I'll give you my best, I'll give my best regards to Miss Clem or something. Uh, <laughs> 
That's good. Um, uh, so, so but he, with the excitement, he, what I wanted to get back to is like just the excitement of whenever because you were bidding on the rights for Oblivion and you got the manuscript in. I remember either you called me or emailed me and, and you're just like, holy shit, we have the new story <laughs> from his agent. And it's like, it was yes. the story of Oblivion. <laughs> and it was like so excited. It was like, I have never felt that kind of a thrill. Like I can't even imagine any other thrill. Like maybe when the Pale King came out and I first got to read the Pale King, it was ex- that mm. exciting. But reading the story of Oblivion, because it came you know, in manuscript form directly from the agent, it was it was unlike any of the other like here would be a new story from Wallace in a literary magazine. It was like, here's one that's delivered top secret. Do you remember that? Um, I remember. Look, I remember uh, getting the 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 manuscript and but I all I, I mean, I'm being incredibly excited. Also, I have the, those stories you were mentioning. They were not on the internet, so I actually have the uh, printed copies of those literary magazines because they would go, Marco and I would go to New York City in 2000, 2001, 2002, and we would buy, uh, like from St. Mark's bookshop, yep. uh, the, a copy of Conjunctions. There was one that it's um, the Soul is a Smithy, I think, is in Agony. Uh, right. a, a literary magazine from some university, uh, and Boston then McSweeney's. McSweeney's. I would buy McSweeney's every time I went to New York, and we tried to go like once or twice a year because there were there was basically no way to get McSweeney's in Italy in the early in to, in two thousand. Uh, it was almost impossible to get. It was probably impossible. I don't think they, maybe they would ship internationally, I don't know. Uh, but so, yes, I, w- I was discovering all these stories and then the manuscript came. It was incredibly exciting, but of course we lost it uh, to Einaudi. So for me, that was like the first, hu- it has happened to me a, l- a lot of times, of course, afterwards, but that was the first time when I really, I was so, bummed and so sad because I couldn't buy uh, I, I couldn't yes I couldn't buy and I couldn't publish this book I loved because like a major publisher had come in with a huge offer mm. uh, that was the first mm. like slap in my face <laughs> uh, <laughs> like so you're you're an indie publisher and you will always like th- th- that's your destiny that's your fate you translate a couple of books uh-huh. by one great writer, but you can't keep publishing him or her because you don't have enough money. Um, right. so, and then you just went full Marxist after that, right? <laughs> <laughs> She's always been a Marxist, my friend. If you weren't uh, already, um, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you, this is the question we have not got to yet, and that is... Why? Why is David Foster Wallace so popular in Italy? I would say yeah, outside, outside of the too. U.S., he's that's his biggest audience. We get tons I, of yeah, that's the sense I get too. Listeners, uh, we get tons of people who join the David Foster Wallace Society from Italy. There've been conferences there. There's been you know Wallace went there. We're going to talk about Capri in 2006. Yeah, totally. um, yes. You were his well, translator Italy's, on stage. Yeah. Why do they love uh, him so much? Uh, I think uh, he, um, 
I, I'm praising like myself and my friends, but actually I think so well David Foster. That's, but I think David Foster Wallace was published by people who were like nerds or like fans or like they we we built a fandom around him because we were his fans. Mm-hmm. Like both us at Minimum Facts and the people at Fandango, we were. It was not like a big publisher knowing that this was like a big bestseller in the U.S. and like betting on a safe bet. It was like some yeah. like some small presses falling in love with this incredible writer and bringing it to some like niche, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. um, readership, but. Those readers were passionate about it, uh, so there was like it was something that we loved, and we in in some way I don't know how because I I was never a, a reader of those books I was the one who made those books, uh, so I, I I can't talk about how they were received that because I w- wasn't receiving them actually, uh, but I think some, <laughs> the the passion and the um, it was like done in a. Um, it was a bit of a. There was a bit of a DIY feel to the way it was published. The way that it was. It was launched with like this. Uh, what was it? Fifty-hour long reading, which was not like for cool people. It was just a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> it was. The, it, it was just like, like pe- people like a small number of of weirdos who would stay up at four in the morning reading books, and those are That's like awesome. and those are the people who David Foster Wallace was appealing to in 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 Italy before he died before everything. It was a, his first mm-hmm. readers were very passionate, crazy strange readers it was not mainstream at all he he, he didn't come to it as a mainstream yeah. uh writer but it was like a, a, a grassroots thing uh, which grew from there but we weren't selling many copies at the time at all uh but we were making friends i don't know we were making people love him um so maybe that yeah. that's that's where where it started uh, maybe other Publishers. I mean, it, at that time, he wasn't published in France or Germany or pretty much anywhere else. I guess uh, I translated his essay about rap, about hip hop music, and I don't think that has ever been translated anywhere else, unless maybe nowadays. Uh, but I translated that in two thousand. So there was like this small bunch of very passionate. Dave Foster Wallace fans and who were actually publishing him. So maybe that's the title of that. Isn't the title of that in Italian, something like rap explained to white people. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We we called it that. Yes, exactly. Like explaining rap to white people by Dave Foster Wallace. Um, (laughs) A white guy explaining uh, African-American culture to other white people. Yeah. Good. And Mark Costello, right? It has been translated a couple of other yeah. times now, but um, you know, we—I know that you've met him a couple of times. You had met him in the U.S., um, and and maybe we'll come back to that. But yes, the the 2006. I haven't really talked to you about this. Like I, I remember seeing the videos from La Conversazione where you're on stage with him as his translator, and you know, here he is walking through the streets of Capri with 
Zadie Smith and Karen Green and John Franzen and Jeffrey Eugenides and um, but tell us it looks like absolutely gorgeous place like I want to go there no (laughs) matter what but you can't because it's for rich people it's for people who are (laughs) so much richer than than we are that you can't really go to Capri if you're like an average guy unless someone invites you oh yeah or you can stay like i stay maybe two days uh but it's it's a it's an unbelievable place because it's it's of course of course it's gorgeous and it's but but you only see people who are filthy rich (laughs) this makes this is such good context because when i was i was at the archive in july at ransom center and i was reading the wallace delillo correspondence and wallace made a remark that he got to take a dream vacation that he never otherwise would have been able to afford to Capri. And you saying that makes me go like, oh, okay, now I like understand that comment a lot more. Yes. Based um, on the socioeconomic uh, situation of that place. Cool. uh, So you, you, Capri is like, like you you imagine like a small sea village, like on a Greek Mm -hmm. island or something, but the shops are (laughs) Prada and Valentino. And there are no, okay. like, there's no uh, tobacconist. There's just like these hotels. And, but anyway, so uh, the guy who was, mm. organ- who is still organizes the festival is an Italian journalist called Antonio Monda, who lives in New York. He was, he teaches at NYU. Uh, he used mm. to write for La Repubblica. So he's, uh, Antonio knows a lot of writers, American writers. So he has uh, like a small literary or he used to have, I don't know, a small literary salon uh, at home or something. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, he's friendly with a lot of uh, writers. And he decided to start this small literary festival in Capri. I, I have no idea why in Capri, uh, <laughs> but that was... Uh, he, 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 he made it, he probably, he made a deal. Maybe he, maybe he, some of, some relative of his was from Capri. I don't know what's the link between Antonio and Capri is, but he got a deal with this beautiful five-star hotel called Hotel Punta Tragara, which is in a very panoramic point. And the, the five writers, it's only like five writers every year five or six, something like this. They stay at the hotel and they have like their uh, events at night, every night for like, it's a couple of weekends, I think. It's a small audience, but a lot of people on Capri are Americans. Um, um, and they, people would come and also some some people from Naples or, or Rome would come, but it's, it's hard to get there and it's very expensive. So it's strange because it's a festival with a very, very small audience. But that first edition, wow, such amazing writers. And I was there because I, Antonio asked me to translate. Every writer had to write an unpublished piece uh, to submit, I mean, to write for the festival and uh, something unpublished and I was supposed to translate these pieces. So I did, I translated, uh, well, the part that David wrote uh, was uh, from the Pale King, but we didn't know that it was from the Pale Mm -hmm. King at the time. Um, I can't really remember what what that was, but anyway. Um, So I translated his piece and and all all of these people's writing, and then they also asked me to... um, to be the interpreter on stage, to be the translator on stage. So I, uh, I translated for him. Uh, and uh, well, those were, I mean, th- those were incredible days. I, I was hanging out with him. It was not the first time that 
uh, I, I'd met him, uh, and by then he would, I mean, he was incredibly uh, warm and, and he was lovely. Uh, he would say that me and him, we went way back, we were old friends, uh, we were, he really, <laughs> I mean, I, I was uh, still like in complete admiration of him, uh, but he was super friendly with me. Uh, I was translating him when he did interviews uh, during the festival, and that was amazing too, because he was, um, uh, of course, he was saying a lot of interesting things to, to the journalists, but also he was asking the journalists interesting questions. I've never seen... Yeah, I love that seen... about his interviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was one, the, he had an interview with someone from Il Manifesto, which is a left-wing... Uh, newspaper uh, and so uh, David Foster Wallace was asking the journalist what's the same why it is called like a communist newspaper do you still have communism <laughs> communists in Italy because Il Manifesto is still called uh, it calls itself uh, I don't I don't know like the New York Times has something written under the title I don't know what you call that in English mm. but in uh, like not a byline um like all the news that's fit to print, something like that. Right. The claim of Subtitle the of Il Manifesto right. is a communist newspaper. So I remember Wallace being very curious <laughs> about this communist newspaper. He was asking a lot of questions. And I've never seen another American writer who would ask the journalists such specific questions about the newspaper, the situation in Italy. He was he didn't look like a, like an introvert or uh, yeah. Like um, I don't know, people a, a person with like mental issues at all. Uh, of course, it's I mean when you're I don't know when you're on vacation in Capri, like with your wife giving readings. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's I mean e even if you're I mean that's the best of of, of times for you and and you're at your very best. I don't know, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was the last time I saw him, and I, at that time, I had no idea he was suffering from depression or he was. Um, yeah. I this is also quite interesting because I I never knew that he was dealing with this daily, uh, that he had been dealing with his uh, problems for such a long time. Uh, I, I I mean I assumed I don't think that any he, of us really knew. None exactly. of us really knew. And and I remember right after that, probably the next year, 2007, of he published some stuff. You know, Good People came out of The New Yorker. He published mm -hmm. a, a story in Harper's, maybe two things in Harper's. And I remember asking you, like, hey, we're going to go to Book Expo America. We're going to BEA um, in 2000, maybe it's 2008. And, you know, w will you be there? Will, will Wallace be there? And I remember you saying that you had asked his agent and Bonnie Nadell said like, oh, he's he's been very sick. He had like a stomach ailment. Maybe I'm misremembering this, but I remember he used that excuse towards the end of he had bad yes. stomach problems. Yes, I, I was asked. I, I wrote to him. Uh, I asked some questions uh, for it because we were publishing a new edition of uh, Girl with Girl with Curious Hair. And we wanted to add like an interview with him in the end of the book. And I, I sent him these questions and he never uh, replied. And Bonnie wrote back saying he had like a bad stomach ache. He was uh, hospitalized 
Uh, and that that was the first time I heard about him being sick. Uh, and then uh, in 2000, when was that? Uh, 2008, right? He, he died in 2008, right. yes. I was right. in New York, I was in America the day he died, uh, and I knew about it. It was uh, on a when, Friday, Friday night, or on a Saturday night. He died on a Friday, but I knew about it on a Saturday night, and I was actually at. I, I, I make this sound like a, I'm this, like. I know socialite of New York of the New York literary scene, but I was at uh, Gary Steingart's place. At uh, I was at a party there, and I remember a, a friend of mine uh, telling me, "Martina, have you heard? Uh, Dave Foster Wallace has died. He is committed suicide." And it was like I couldn't believe it. I actually thought mm. there there had to be a mistake. I had no idea yeah. he could ever, I don't know. It was such a shock. And I actually, yeah. um, I, I, kept, I kept crying for like two days. I remember the day after that, I, w I went to the Brooklyn Book Festival and uh, Jonathan Franzen was reading there. And I met, I actually met Colson Whitehead with his kid uh, in front of the, like, like on the square, on the plaza in front of the, what, what it is, um, City Hall, City Hall, City Hall, Borough Hall, yeah, yeah. Hall. and oh, everyone who's everyone who's seen me that day has seen me crying because I just I couldn't I I didn't cry that much when my dad died, but because my dad had cancer, so I in a way it was. But for me, for 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 him to commit suicide and we we could never have another page by him, never. Oh God. Like, all of a sudden, it was, like, heartbreaking completely. Yeah. Like, that's not a world that you want to have to live in, almost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's, I remember the same thing in that uh, at first, when I first found out, uh, was a tweet from Ed Champion, or maybe he posted on his blog, or someone sent it to the Wallace list, and I tweeted it out saying, like, I really this has got to be a hoax or something, you know, like mm. I, I, I'm sure this is a hoax. Like why would he post this? And I immediately got a, a direct message from Kathleen Fitzpatrick, who was his colleague at Pomona and was like, it's not a hoax. The word isn't fully got out yet. You know, the, mm. and within like, there was a lot of craziness of people posting on the listserv and people freaking out. And then within mm. like probably two to three hours later, there was like an LA times obituary, like reporter had picked it up and gone and called the, mm. the coroner's department. So that was, that was extremely, you know, we all remember that where we were that day. Yes. Say, Martina, yeah. you, you yes, absolutely. We uh, and, and the thing is that the, uh, I haven't translated, of course, I haven't translated anything by him after that. All my, as a translator, all my work on, on Dave Foster Wallace's books were, was done before he died uh, and the fact that he was like a depressed person and was having mental health issues and he was and that he was suicidal that never came I mean I the Wallace the David Foster Wallace I knew and loved was like a completely different like figure than what it is what he is now for like everyone I mean when you when you talk about David Foster Wallace now, you always also talk about uh, mental health and suicide. 
And totally. those It's like the first sentence of every essay on Wallace basically, right? Right? And yeah. my my perception of him, my love for him and my work on him have nothing to do with that part. Uh, it's it's strange to think of it. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard for me to I mean uh of course, people. Since I, I translated these books by him, and I I've met him, and I talked to him, and there are pictures of me and him together. I get in, uh, interviewed a lot in Italy uh, about him. Like when on the anniversary of his death, there's at least like one blog or <laughs> a radio show or something that asks me questions like exactly uh, why did he do that or why did. He committed suicide and I have I I really have no fucking idea he was depressed in the first place I don't know I don't have any any answer mm-hmm. it's just um uh it, it's so strange for me to 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 think of him as everybody else uh thinks of him mm-hmm. and it also and the 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 the, the also absurd thing is that I was chosen to translate Karen Green's book um and it's um um I, I i don't think she's a poet uh and her language is completely different than david's mm-hmm. language yeah. and the, the there i think there are two very different uh sensibilities but i was asked to translate that book because i was uh, i had translated his books which is a mm-hmm. strange uh, uh thing but uh dili i'm reading her account and her emotional account of of, mm-hmm. of that that event was so like it probably it, a circle was closing but it was so painful so awful because yeah, yeah. i knew these people i mean i i saw them together in capri like walking hand in hand or like congratulating me at the end of the re of the event for being a good translator like he bombed the cigarette from me uh, okay, he was like those people were so real in at a very happy time. They were in front of me. We ate together, and then he committed suicide. And then, like ten years later, I'm translating her work, describing yeah. how she cut him off when she found it. It was like, yeah, uh, well, uh, a lot of emotional things got into that. Oh, I bet I can't imagine. Ugh. Yeah, that line in, in Bow Down about how she, when she cut him down, she didn't want him to hurt his knees. Yeah, yeah. Like that sentence is so haunting. Um, also, mm. that's awful to translate into Italian because we don't have that. Mm. We we have to have a, an object for cutting. So we, you can cut like a cord. You can cut... You, uh, you have to cut something. You don't cut somebody. There's no way in Italian to say that. So I actually had to ask Karen Green, what word what? should should I should I say when I cut the because I had no idea if that was like mm. a cord or or whatever can you like, I don't know what what, what you can use Rope. but yeah. um, uh, so in the end I I she, she I I felt I had to ask because I I couldn't be literal if 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 I wanted to keep the action of cutting like with a mm. knife. I had to have a, like the object or 
in the end, we she said, no, I don't want... I, I, I told her, I don't want to ask. And she said, yeah. I don't want to tell. <laughs> but, uh, mm. So in the end, I, I translated something like, I um, brought you down or something like that. I, mm. I didn't use the uh, verb to cut. But that specific mm. phrase was one of the... Like in my whole career as a translator, that was like one of those moments where like, Oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Wow. Well, good good job bringing that up, Dave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Martina brought it up first. I just, oh, I just. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I mean, and there's a lot of bad stuff in Wallace's uh, writing that you've had to translate. I mean, Dave brought up incarnations of burned children earlier, and that's like it's pretty rough to read about, especially Dave, you having like a toddler and like uh-huh. reading about, you know, child soul death and being burned. Um, <laughs> yeah. My threshold that, for that kind of material is like, is very different now than it was, you know, 10 years ago when I was reading it. Like I was playing a video game the other day where like someone's daughter died and I just like turned it off and deleted it off my PlayStation. So I was like, Nope. Can't <laughs> that. Yeah. I felt that way watching Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. Everyone's like, oh, you gotta oh, watch yeah. this. And I was like, I don't know that I want to like choose entertainment that is like about imagine if your child died. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I don't, I, it's not I even like, there. why would I do that to myself? But I know. Um, anyways, going back uh, to incarnations of burned children, you, you brought this up and this is Martina and I have a little story about this is mm. that before the days she couldn't get Wallace to reply. She had questions about, girl with curious hair and she emailed them to, this is several times she'd contact wallace and he was consistently like nine months behind on his written correspondence right so you might get a reply to him mm-hmm. a year later for something a year later, yeah. um so she was like i really need to know this and i was like well he's coming to new york like next week and she's like all right i'm gonna give you these questions you print out these questions for him and like take them to him <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, he he did not like this at all. And it was like after reading in New York at Barnes and Noble in Union Square, which is like so busy. It's like one of the busiest spots in Manhattan, and it's a huge bookstore, and there was tons of people, standing room only. And you know, he was always there to see friends too. He always had other people that he was hanging out with and meeting up with and maybe even Franzen was there. Um, Mark Costello was there, I think. And anyways, he was very much in a hurry to get out of there. And I kind of like ambushed him by giving him these letters and like, <laughs> from Martina. And we kind of, yeah, yeah. And I, and he was like, I mean, he acknowledged right away, like this is something Martina and Marco would do. Right? Like, but, <laughs> but he was also like, uh, you know, like, don't fucking bother because those stories are basically untranslatable. Mm. And, you know, this is a waste of time to even question about. He's like, I don't speak Italian. What do I know? You're like, I can't I can't help <laughs> with the translation on this. And I was like, eh, actually, I, you know, I think he can help. And I think that they are translate. Like, I actually, like, got into a little bit of back and forth. And uh, I remember I had my older brother with me. And <laughs> after we had this, like, discussion and we left, he took the questions, though. And my brother was like, man, that guy was a real jerk to you. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, ah, you know, I was apologizing for him. You know, I was like, he's not normally like this. You know, he, 
he doesn't like crowds. He doesn't like these kind of events. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, he's maybe forget about this, but actually he went back to Martina, answered all the damn questions and like wrote an apology to me for being so rude about it. Um, (laughs) But I mean, the story is like, it's more, it's even, uh, better than this in that like the, the day after like Bonnie the the agent wrote to me like saying don't you dare disturb Dave uh this way you were like overreaching trespassing I don't know what she said but it was oh, like no, oh really? she was so angry and uh ah. so, so I was uh, oh of course profusely apologizing but he he anyway sure. he he answered he really answered the question he sent facts because he would write faxes, he would, uh, he would. I think he would send emails, emails to. But no, he was he was sending faxes. faxes He'd go to Kinkos. Right? Sometimes he would have like a Kinkos cover sheet, or maybe yeah. from the university. But you know, you had like a fax cover sheet. He yes. sent tons of faxes. Not faxes. not email, but but yeah. so he he answers he answered these questions. But after that, I think a few months after that, uh, Mark and I were in New York again. And because we went, um, I think it was, wasn't it for, I think it was for your, for your wedding, Mark. For I my think wedding, that, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think, but uh, I, I I think it was a, but maybe I, I'm conflating two different things. But anyway. No, no, this is exactly, exactly right. The, it was in 2004. I, and, and that was when wedding. he, you, you were, I, we were there for your wedding, but he was also reading. I mean, he had a conversation with George Saunders. Uh, in downtown right. Manhattan, I can't remember where it was, like at the, Astor Place. The public theater, town hall, public theater, uh, 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 not town yeah. hall, but public theater. Um, yeah, Astor Place. So he, yeah, so he was he was in town, and Marco and I were just walking on uh, up Broadway, where Shakespeare's and Co. used to wear, uh, used to be the bookstore, mm. uh, and we met him. Uh, we <laughs> just on the street. Uh, we ran into him, and we're like. Hey, Dave, hi. It's David hi. Foster Wallace. It's David Foster Wallace. And he's like, Marco and Martina, hi, you guys. So we uh, we talk a little bit. Uh, I think his event was like the day after. Uh, and I mentioned, of course, I apologized again, saying sorry for sending my friends, my friend Matt. Uh, I didn't want to <laughs> intrude. And he was like, Oh no! Please apologize to Matt because I was uh, I was a dick. I can't remember what he said. I was uh, I was awful to him. And so I said, "Well, if you want to like make amends, come into the bookstore and let's buy a card for him because he's getting married. So you can like write uh, a message to him, uh, and he'll be the happiest guy on earth if I go to him with like a handwritten note." <laughs> from- yeah. So- yeah. Um, so he was, uh, I, I think he, and so he did, um, and so he was, he was a real sweet guy. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm sorry about all, all the, the mess I, I created, but, no. but he was, <laughs> he was really sorry for being a jerk. You, I, I hope your, your brother knows. No, I, no, no. I think, uh, if, if you hadn't done that, like we wouldn't have this story now. So it was worth it just to get the, the, the card, yeah. the wedding card from him and the, the signed <laughs> do card, you, you know, and do you have those on hand, Matt? Can you read them? Of course. On air? That'd be um, fun. Yeah, I'd like to give, hear. Give me one second. I want to, um, I'll have to go grab it from another room, but I'm, I'm going to go grab it. Actually, you know what? We could, 
maybe we even scan it and put it in the show notes. Oh, that's a fun idea. Um, I was going to ask Martina, if you have it handy, uh, your translation of Grow With Curious Hair and the first story, Little Expressionless Animals, if you could read the first like couple of sentences or, or first like oh, paragraph sure. in, Itali- in Italian, that would be great. In Italian. Do you want me to read the start of the beginning of Piccoli Animali Senza Espressione? Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, okay, it's just the first, like, f- uh, five or six li- lines from Little Expressionless Animals in Italian. Piccoli animali senza espressione. È il 1976, il cielo è basso e pieno di nubi. Le nubi grigie sono bitorsolute, increspate e lucenti. Il cielo ha un aspetto cerebrale. Sotto il cielo c'è un campo nel vento. Al lato del campo corre un'autostrada pallida. Passano un sacco di macchine. Is it enough? I have to say, and I'm not, I'm not pandering because you're Italian, but Italian is my favorite language to listen to <laughs> in the whole world. It's so pleasant and gorgeous. Um, thank you for that. We, yeah. um, we talked about, remember Jhumpa Lahiri um, wrote a book in yes. Italian about learning Italian. And I was just blown away that she did that i remember asking martina like how is she and martina said you had seen her speak italian before and she's actually like really good yes she's incredible i mean she she speaks um like an uh she uses more formal language like if she she speaks in a not very colloquial uh way uh like a highbrow i don't know uh but she speaks so well it's incredible uh, she, she she's a genius. She's brilliant. Her brain has something that my, as you can understand from my English, I'm not, I'm not uh, as brilliant as she is. But the problem in translating Davis Foster Wallace into Italian is that Italian is always much longer than English. Whenever every mm-hmm. Italian translator knows that, uh, like if if. The, the book, an English book translated into Italian is always like 20% longer. So when... Oh, uh, so how many pages uh, is Infinite Jest in Italian then? Do you know? Uh, uh, I, I guess if you... Because we have a sticker you, for the society that uh, just is the number 1079 for the page count of the English Infinite Jest. So... If we ever made that for Italy, we would have to we'd have to make it long bigger. Yeah, yeah. In in, in Italian, it's like I think it's uh, fourteen hundred pages or something. So oh, okay. It is wow. longer. Yeah, um, that's significant. because and so David Foster Wallace had these long winding sentences, and to it's it's even hard in Italian. They get to be even longer, and they are so hard to like manipulate in a way that the reader doesn't get lost you have to mm-hmm. to give them the a certain yeah. rhythm and sound uh, you don't want to uh, make him sound awkward or like verbose or boring or because uh, it's not but, but but english has a way of like is more compact than uh, than italian mm. you can use the same words as a verb or as a noun you can like put together to nouns, to make an adjective, it's like it's completely different. Uh, so it was hard to 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 if if, the, if Wallace writes like a twenty a sentence that that's long, like a whole page long, 
in Italian, it's yeah. even more than uh, one page long, uh, and you have to deal with that. It's it's a bit of a nightmare. Um, but yeah, so but... Um, it it um, also like so it's challenging, but also so satisfying for for a translator to work on that language because it's so precise, it's so deliberate. You know exactly what he. Apart from like what what is a fan thought, what does what is a howling yeah, fan totally. thought? Okay, you don't know that. But <laughs> neither do we though in English, so that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but but for the, for the most part, you're following you you're following a very clear path. You have this brilliant mind who's uh, like giving you a, a a beautiful picture with a lot of details and. And you have you have to find the right way to convey that in Italian, but it's so um, it's so precise and so um, specific. Um, so you you feel like you, yes, you're you're not wandering in, in the mist. You have a very clear mm-hmm. path when you you work on his language. Hmm. I, and uh, I think that's fascinating. Um, yeah, Dave, I did dig that's up cool. this card and. Martina, you probably haven't seen this card in 15, 16 years, but the front of it says everything happens for a reason. (laughs) Really? Oh, man. What a platitude that is. I think it's, you know, it's supposed to, I don't know. It's yeah. it's it's supposed to be like good, it's contextually like, appropriate for the congratulations situation. on your your wedding. Like everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then inside. Uh, Wallace wrote Matt and Jordan heartfelt congratulations on your marriage and much joy to you in the future and then he drew a little squiggly face David Wallace the guy who grimaced at Matt read Martina's queries apologies for that and then (laughs) Martina and Marco signed it underneath that and then on the back of the card I never noticed this until just now but there's a tiny little quote on the back of the card that says the word fate is derived from the Latin fatum, meaning what has been spoken. So watch what you say. It could determine the course of your future. Whoa. Oh. That's, that's almost, that's almost Very like, a, Oracle like a Delphi fortune cookie or something. Type stuff, yeah. It's almost like a fortune cookie. Very Macbeth, uh, yeah. Anyways, I'll, I'll send you a picture of that. It's very, very cool. And, that's cool. You know, I feel like I... We've just gotten started. I know that we're past the hour mark, Martina, and I have like probably a hundred other things that you and I could talk about. Oh yeah. Um, and I I, w- I want to do that, but I want to be respectful of your time. I know it's extremely <laughs> late at night there, and so I want to first ask you, you know, did I cut you off on anything? Is there anything that you wanted to say before we go? Is there? Um, anything you were going to share and you haven't got to yet um what can i say well my my uh, all like recall remembering these all the times when i was traveling to new york a lot and like buying literary magazines in bookstores and meeting you and meeting david foster wallace it brings me back to a time in publishing when the publishing industry as i experienced it was like more less about uh, like products and marketing and the industry and strategies and of course there were no social media uh, but it was about people it was a lot about like um, 
I, I felt we that there was like a different energy or a different way of like connecting uh, through mm. books uh, 20 years ago than we have now. And I think the uh, social media has done a lot of damage in in that and also the, the way that mm. maybe capitalism has like developed in the past 20 years but still there was like some or maybe it's just that I was younger uh, but really um, there is something there the fact that you and I came together through Dave Foster Wallace and we actually met him and uh, he was part of our life it's it's it has some specific magic to it or something I don't know it makes me think of the best things about publishing uh, uh, yes, which is like connecting people, actually. And the fact that uh, after 20 years, I'm talking with someone in Texas and someone in New Zealand about this guy yeah. who's dead. And yeah. uh, the, the, there's something there uh, that's precious. I think I just wanted to say that. That, that, is, that is a great note to end on. And that is, sure is. you know, remembering that time of optimism, it, I have fond memories of that time myself. You know, I worked in the margins of publishing or I worked in publishing and academic publishing at the time and we did a lot of trade publishing that was very um, different than than it is now um, and I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today and I yeah, hope that you and you. I can talk again soon and not not wait so long between <laughs> talks no. uh, it's been a while uh, and you know we didn't even get to talk about coronavirus and it's actually good for me <laughs> just to yes, talk yes. about COVID-19 <laughs> yeah. um, being in Italy and the U.S. and New Zealand is yeah. probably the least worrisome right now. Uh, oh my gosh I went to the pub last US. night and played games Are you with serious? my friends. Oh, yeah we, they opened up. things up last night it was it was nice not that <laughs> oh, yeah. it was not that nice though guys come on we could only stay there for two hours they kicked us out. <laughs> wow. Um, but Martina, if people want to connect with you, I know you're on Twitter. Yeah. If they want to read your work, um, where can they find it? It's uh, you want to tell us the website for the publishing company? Uh, the publishing Just house please. I work for now is called Edizioni Sur, and the website is www.edizionisur.it. I can uh, write it write it down for you, and maybe you can uh, put it in the. We'll put it in the, the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm on Twitter, yes. Uh, so if anyone has questions, uh, I guess they maybe they can ask ask them through there or or through <laughs> you. What is, sure. What is sure, your handle great. there on Twitter? Uh, I, I think it's Martina Testa. Yes. Cool. We'll link it's that a, as a, well in the show notes. Um, Fantastic. Dave, where could people find the Concavity Show? Oh yeah, we are uh, we are at Concavity Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us. We are concavityshow at gmail.com. And if you're a Facebook person, just search The Great Concavity and we are there as well. Um, Martina, yeah, thank you so much again. It's been amazing talking to you. I have so many more questions I want to ask as well, but um, they'll have to wait till maybe we can meet up in person in Amsterdam at the <laughs> Wallace Conference next year. Next year's Wallace Conference. Yeah, yeah. That would be we'll so great. more about that. 
that's oh, in the works. Let, so let's uh, it, let's hang out there. <laughs> thinking about like traveling to Amsterdam right now, it feels like wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> it feels like that, magical realism or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I that still can't haven't. Exist anymore. I, yeah, I, it, for me, it would be still great to go to like the center of Rome. I think maybe yeah. in like ten days I can get to there. Amsterdam, maybe next year. Yes, let's yeah, let's exactly. meet there. <laughs> yeah good sounds great okay um we also want to thank uh new patrons this month uh mark Bronner and our good friend chris ayers and ed rasso thank you guys so much for supporting what we do here uh we really appreciate it and it goes a long way in making this podcast uh and as usual we want to thank our good friend robin o'neill for her art associated with our show and the band parquet courts for their song instant disassembly um Martina, thanks again so much. It's been amazing talking to you. And uh, we hope you stay safe and healthy out there. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Good night uh, or morning or whatever. Ciao. (laughs) Catch me now as I say. Into darkness. All right. Does everyone see little waves and lines on their recording? I am recording, and I think we should still do the clap. I want to do it. The clap's good. Martina, do you see some lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is recording. Perfect. Okay. Should we clap on three? Same thing? Three, two, one, clap. Okay, ready? Okay. Three, two, one. Perfect. (laughs) There was some lag there, I think. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Should we try it again? No, you can line them all up now. You'll be able to see that spike. It'll be good.